This show is a proud member of the Nerdy Legion Podcast Network. Get more at nerdylegion.com. Enjoy the show. Welcome to a special episode of the Nerdy Legion Podcast. I'm Martin, and Nick's not here tonight. Uh, this is actually a pre-recorded episode that Paul and I did for our Valiant Central Podcast patrons over at uh, patreon.com slash Podcast. And we released this a couple weeks. I wanted everyone to hear it, so Paul and I have agreed... Uh, that after a few weeks' time, any anything that we record over there will probably make it to uh, the Nerd Legion feed. So this episode we talked about Ether Volume 1, that's uh, Matt Kinn and David Rubin. So check out the discussion, let us know what you think, and uh, if you picked up the book. So with that said, let's get on with the show. Martin, do you know what this is? A podcast. This is a podcast. This is a first, though. Do you know what this is the first podcast of? Uh, Martin and Paul take over the universe, episode one. Yes, it is. This is the first of our patron exclusive podcasts. <gasps> this will uh, it'll be released at some point for everybody. But if you're a patron, so on a regular podcast, if you're a patron, you get to listen to it a few days early. You get to listen to it basically as soon as we get it recorded and cut. Uh, if you are a patron, this podcast is just for you. Uh, for you know a few weeks or a month or something like that. Mm. So this is the first episode of Martin and Paul present. This episode is entitled Martin and Paul Take Over the World. <laughs> we are going to talk about Ether, uh, a book by a Valiant creator, a Valiant creator named Matt Kent. I know that guy. And uh, all I can think about all day is that uh, I got a liter of Knob Creek and a bottle of Ether. <laughs> Got a second mob deep creeping out of the speaker. Oh my god! And uh, that's that's what I've been thinking all day. Yeah, I prefer to stay at home and drink because it's cheaper. Wow, Paul. And the next line's kind of whack, so I ain't gonna say the next line. Wow, Paul. I gotta say I'm impressed. Anybody who knows what that is, I'll give you mad props, and I'll also know if you just googled it. So uh, <laughs> don't try to act like you know shit because you googled what I just said and found out what it is. How, how exactly would you know? I'd, I'd ask a couple of questions. I'll know if you know who they are or not. Hmm. This is obscure shit I'm spouting. <laughs> As always. So th- we were talking about Ether Volume 1. So uh, I got five issues of Ether in the mail from our good friend Michael Sparkman. My podcast uh, producer extraordinaire. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, even though... Uh, he hasn't man. produced anything for me for a while. He's I got him working for everybody. Yep. Got him in uh, one of our uh, fantasy football leagues. Mm-hmm. Uh, keeping him busy. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he sent me uh, the first five issues of Ether, which is the first volume of Ether. And I kind of had forgotten about it. Uh, it's a Matt Kent book, but yeah, I mean, Kent and Lemire, they really have been uh, cranking out a bunch of new projects lately. Mm-hmm. You know, Kent's got Ether. He's got Department H. He had Passaways a little bit back that I haven't read yet. Yep. Um, you know, and Lemire, he's he's been doing all sorts of stuff. He had that AD book with Scott Snyder, uh, which of course is crap because not Scott Snyder's a Batman writer. So there you go. Um, he is not a Batman writer. <laughs> he was a Batman writer. Yeah, he he started him. with Detective. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he's he a good did. Batman writer. I like Scott Snyder. Yeah, he was fine. Um, I have not read AD yet either, though. But there's that one. There's Black Hammer. Uh, what else has Lemire been doing? 
I know he's got other stuff. Uh, Roughnecks. Yeah, which he, that was released as as a graphic novel, not yeah, as correct. individual issues. So, yep. and one interesting thing. So, speaking of that, Lemire did did Roughnecks, uh, which was released as a graphic novel. Uh, he did AD, which is basically like magazine size. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a very different presentation. And he's in like Black Hammer, which is just like you know an ongoing serial graphic novel. Descender is still going. Yep, and he's got that new uh, spinoff coming out. Uh, this Black Hammer spinoff. Uh, yeah. What is it? Frankenstein and the Secret Society or something, something like that. Yeah. So that'll. Uh, I, I got the trade of Black Hammer also to read. So that's one that we could talk about in the future. And plus, uh, you know, Department H. We got a bunch of stuff they've been doing recently that we can do some uh, some patron exclusive episodes for. Um, yeah. So I, I got Ether in the mail from uh, from Sparkman and. I'm kind of trying to process through a bunch of stuff and get it get it read, get stuff gifted back out to other people. Um, because so on on our last episode of VCP to date this a little bit, we talked about cutting our pull list down and how we were possibly going to be changing how we pursue comics. And uh, I was already deep in the midst of making a decision, which I finalized and acted on the next day. But I sold my whole collection of comics. I have mm-hmm. trades and card covers and and that sort of thing in digital now. But I don't have. Uh, I mean, I kept a few things, of course. But um, you know, just an issue here and there that I had a particular attachment to, or ones that were gifts. I have quite a few things that have been gifted to me uh, that will stay in my collection. But uh, you know, so with that, I, I was trying to start to to work through stuff, and I got the box in the mail from Sparky. And Ether was there, and I said, ah, I kind of forgot about this. So I opened up the first issue of Ether, and I absolutely loved it within a couple of pages. It took a couple of pages, and I just I knew that I loved it. Hmm. That's all it took. Really? Why is that? Just something about it. Um, so I had remembered back when it was first coming out, uh, I think our good friend Aaron, who's, you know, if you want to hear some negative comments on something, he's the good <laughs> person to go to. Uh, he was very dismissive of Ether, um, and so I just, you know, I, I never didn't really think much of it. I wasn't, you know, picking it up as individual issues or anything at the time. Uh, so I mean, I literally just forgot about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then I got it, and uh, I think I had had posted out a message in our little group there saying, "Has anybody read this?" And somebody commented on the art, and the art's definitely, you know different like i feel like with kent you're kind of in his indie stuff you're used to him doing the art also so this is uh i don't know i mean one thing is the coloring in this is very bright vibrant poppy um like it's colorful um and the art is more on the kind of i guess not cartoonish side like a, a comic that's drawn by a cartoonist like Bone or you know Usagi Ojimbo or something like that, mm-hmm. but kind of like cartoony for a comic book, you know. Hmm. So I'm assuming that the artist colors this book as well because I don't see a uh, colorist credit. I think so. I think he does the lettering as well. Yeah, he does. Oh, so there you go. So it's art and lettering. So yeah, he he draws it, he colors it, and he letters the book. Uh, which that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, David Rubin's the artist, which I'm not familiar with. David Rubin's work. Yeah, I didn't I didn't know him at all, but uh, 
when I was reading this, I, I tweeted Kent and was like, when is Volume 2 out? I want Volume 2 now, please. Mm-hmm. And uh, so David Rubin liked it. So then I tweeted and tagged him. I was like, oh, I should have tagged you too. You know, I came for the Kent and I stayed for the Rubin. Mm-hmm. So the artwork, like, if I if I just glancing through it, I may not have been... I mean, the artwork definitely doesn't turn me off to the book at all, but this isn't something I look at and be like, oh, yep, that's the kind of artwork I like. This book is for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but once I started reading it, it just... The artwork does such a good job of really making you be in a different world. You know, this isn't something that you you start reading and you have to, like, work up the suspension of disbelief in it. You just start reading it and, like, it's it's separated. It, you know, there's nothing that's really tying it down to where you have to, like, can you know... You have to let go of the things that, that get in the way of reading fiction, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, this just very strongly feels fiction right off the bat. It's just such a good job. Like, the very first page is doing a very Kintian thing of uh, giving excessive detail about stuff. It's, like, pointing out details about stuff. The, the third panel, which is, like, uh, three-fifths of the page about, mm-hmm. has the little circles that are, like, focusing in on details. And one is focusing on his scarf. Uh, showing that it doubles uh, as a filter to avoid magical contaminants. One is focusing in on containers for field specimens, and one is focusing in on Earth-to-Ether experimental radio. Mm-hmm. So it gives those kind of kit details that you get. Um, and uh, just everything about it, like I'm just looking at the first page again. The, the, the first panel is upside down. I mean, the wording is the right way, but like his image is upside down. The second panel, he's, like, spinning around, so now he's, like, not quite sideways, but almost sideways now. And the third panel, he's almost upright, and you see that he's been walking on this this curving plane, Mm -hmm. and his scarf's just going all over the place. So it just really does a lot to take you into a, a different world that doesn't abide by any of our rules or laws or physics or anything. Mm-hmm. Um... Just the way he's talking to you, you kind of feel like you you know him, like you have a level of comfort with him already. It just does a really quick job with uh, the, I mean, there's these first two characters you meet, the monkey guy and the the main protagonist of, you feel like you've been here before. Well, that's kind of the point. So I want to, before we we start diving into the book, I want to say when I first read this, I thought it was okay. Um, I picked up the first issue. I thought it was fine. I read the second issue, but I didn't pick it up immediately. Um, I think it, it took me like two months after the first one came out to read the second. And then by that point, I just kind of lost interest. So I never finished reading this. And because you wouldn't shut up about it, I went ahead and read the trade in one sitting. So I read all five issues at once. And doing that really captivated me quite a bit more. I still don't feel like it's as awesome as you seem to make it out in our, our in our Facebook conversations. Um, but uh, it is really good, and I really enjoyed it. With that said, you're right. There, there's a lot that gets thrown at you pretty quickly. And what I like is that it, it really establishes this as, as a living world. Because you quickly learn that he's been in this place in the ether many times, 
and they talk about some of the previous adventures that they've had. Um, like, and they name them, and they all sound like Harry Potter uh, novel titles. You know what I mean? Uh, which I really like because it's 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 kind of that sort of book. Um, but but with a little like it's not quite crime noir, but there is a noir element to the story, which is interesting to me. I think if it was a, a pure fantasy thing, I might not be as interested as I was. Uh, yeah, and I, I can agree with that. I mean, I've I've read a decent amount of kind of more recent fantasy books, at least reading some of them, like uh, Seven to Eternity. I just read God Country. Um, I read uh, oh god, what the hell are the other ones? What's the other one? The same uh, Matt Hollingsworth. Oh, Tokyo Ghost. Mm, okay. um, you know, like all these different books that have strong fantasy elements. Like this has a strong fantasy element to it. Um, but just like you said, it has a crime noir element, but it's not a crime noir book. Correct. You you can have elements of something, but not be kind of really steeped in what that is. So like this, uh, even the, the fantasy aspect of it, um, it's, it's, you're in a fantasy world, but it's not dripping fantasy. Like, you know, like seven to eternity is where you go in and, uh, you know, a book like Seven to Eternity, you go in and it's this big world, and they, they don't really, I mean, they don't care about unveiling it all to you because you can't really do that. Like, you know, they're just kind of insinuating this bigger, deeper history and breadth and all this stuff, and they're telling you the story and what you need to know for that story, you know? Mm-hmm. So there's always a little bit of the feeling of kind of being lost in something a lot bigger. Yep. And this one is pretty much pretty clear, like, hey, you know, this is a crazy new world, but, you know, here's the, the factual things about it. Um, it's not, you know, it, what it's telling you, it's telling you pretty black and white. And what it's not telling you, um, it's not that it's avoiding those things. It's just telling you what it does know. Because mm-hmm. the, the protagonist in this is, uh, is he's a scientist. Everything can be explained. You know, uh, you just... So the, the way everything is approached is very different. You don't get that kind of feeling. So you get all this kind of crazy, funny stuff, but um, I don't know. Like, I think Harry Potter is a good example, because if you compare Harry Potter to, like, The Lord of the Rings, like, if you watch The Lord of the Rings, you have to pay attention all the time, and you still are lost half the time, you know? Mm-hmm. Harry Potter, it can you can watch much more casually, and you're not really lost, you know? Um, like one element that kind of struck me that way is, uh, this one creature has the bird and he wants to basically pay you to let his bird sing for you because his bird enjoys it so much, Mm -hmm. but the bird singing to you is something that's like terrible to endure. Um, and you know, that little scene is, is done pretty cartoonically. Um, did you make up a word? Yeah, I did. Totally. Okay, cool. Um, I don't know, just, like, the way it's done is, is pretty awesome, because it's it's unlike it would be in a cartoon, like, oh, let my bird sing for you, and then the bird sings, and it's, like, it's drawn ridiculously, mm-hmm. and the owner of the bird is just so happy, because his bird is happy, because he got to sing for you, mm-hmm. and meanwhile, you're in terrible pain and vomiting because of it, uh, but the, the the bird owner doesn't see that at all. Right. Like, he, he just He's just happy because his bird is happy. He doesn't see the reality of what it causes mm-hmm. for you, you know, so... 
it's just uh, like that's an element that's very kind of Harry Potterish, where it's like, hey, look at these uh, crazy flavored jelly beans, or you know, hey, you know, look at us run through this wall. Now we're somewhere else. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, well, so, Harry Potter so... is just rife with that. Uh, that's what makes Harry Potter so so easy to like. It's so approachable and so enticing for kids because you don't have to like figure out and put all these loose details together to get those aha moments. It's mm-hmm. just like, hey, look at this. Aha, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, going back to the point you made about uh, this guy being a scientist, I, uh, I, we should see if Matt has like five minutes to uh, throw a soundbite together for us for this. But I remember reading an interview before this book came out, and uh, this is something that came about when he... If I remember correctly, here's a Valiant connection for you. He was doing the... Oh, God. What was that arc when Ninjak and Punk Mamba go to the dead side? That was exactly what I was going to say. Oh, you mean... Oh, Operation Dead Side. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Um, so, So when he started playing around with that, of course, you know, talking about the dead side, there's a lot of magical elements involved. And uh, Kent, Kent's never been a magic guy, right? Like, he always finds, like, the the most sensible answer to a problem. Okay? Um, I think, isn't that a thing? Isn't that what Occam's Razor is? The the most, what is it? The easiest, the most likely solution is the easiest one or something like that? Um, I can't remember the exact... Phrasing up yeah, like that. Yeah, I know, I know what you're saying, though. If um, I weren't on my phone doing this, I would look it up. Oh, yeah, sure, sure, sure. But, uh, and so Matt, Matt's kind of that, that person. And uh, being, you know, having to write a story that's so heavily influenced by magic, which is something that he doesn't understand, right? He's always done science-based things. Like, Matt can't love doing, like, spy stories, for example, right? And you're never going to have magic in a spy story. Right, and so the idea for Ether actually came about from all that. Uh, like, he as a writer, how does he deal with making sense of magical elements that he doesn't feel make any sense? You see what I'm saying? Yeah, and I mean, so, the, this is like so the most Matt Kent magic book where you're reading and it's like, yep. He literally keeps on saying magic isn't real. <laughs> right. And he's like, oh, well, of course, like, uh, you know, I'll give you an example. So when they find the magical bullet, like, of course, you can't have a magical bullet, right? Like, you can't put a spell in a bullet to make it, like, switch directions in midair, for example, which is what these magical bullets do. And the way that he explains that actually makes it even more fantastical than just plain magic because it ends up that the magic bullet is like a little bullet shaped guy and so like he can he like flies through the air and because it's a little guy he can change directions in midair you see what i'm saying so yeah yeah, that, that that makes it more science based but at the same time like it's a fucking little guy you know what i'm saying like you're shooting little dudes out of a gun. Yeah, he's he's sitting here scientifically explaining it while you're looking at this like spent little creature, and mm-hmm. he just just like the guy with the bird, where he's not paying attention, he doesn't notice that 
the the reality he's seeing doesn't match up with the reality you're experiencing. It's the same thing with this, you know, with the scientist guy with the bullets, where he he's scientifically analyzing these bullets. Meanwhile, the bullets are like it's like a little creature that was made into a bullet. You know, mm-hmm. it, it it's his scientific explanation isn't exactly meeting up because he's saying, well, these are the elements that make this, but the elements aren't scientifically explainable. Right. So it's, it's, you see the same kind of character, you know, these same attributes being displayed by these different characters, uh, in very different ways, but then you can compare them and be like, this is just as absurd as this other thing. Mm -hmm. Um, it's all those kind of elements that made me just love this book right off the bat. Um, and like you said, you, you like it, but you don't think it's as good as I'm making it out to be in the, in the group chat that we have. Um, well, first of all, in the group chat, you have to be, uh, very overzealous about anything because everybody just blabbers on about the same old boring (laughs) shit. Um, so to get any kind of attention, you have to be ridiculous. Um, but Hey, I got Aaron to sit his ass down and read it and he really liked it. Yeah, he liked it. Um, and if Jay reads it and doesn't say he loves it, then I'll mock him forever because oh, he's always God. going on and on about Kent and Lemire. So I'll just be like, oh, you don't really like Kent then. You're not really a fan. Um, uh, I think but... we, be, before we move on, I think we need to do a quick plot synopsis of this. Because we're, we're talking a lot about what's happening, but if you haven't read it, you don't know what the hell this book's about. Yeah, let's not get to the plot synopsis quite yet. Okay, fair enough. Continue then. God damn, this popcorn is good, though. No one cares about your popcorn or your baseball cards. Nope. Let me go get some baseball cards now. <laughs> oh, Lord. So, anyways, uh, I think that with with anything that is good at all, everybody has different... Uh, and people have different genres they like or they have writers they like they have certain things that they're going to be prone to liking um you know i mean some people will pick up any kent book and say that it's great even if they like really thought about it they just think it's an okay kent book mm-hmm. um you know, like for me black hammer jeff lemire i've i've read a quite a few issues like i, I don't know if i read a, whole, a full trades worth of it and i just i wasn't feeling it I really wasn't, and um, I want to because it's Lemire, and I like Lemire. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's also why I decided to start waiting more often for their stuff in trade, so that way I can make sure to get a good, solid story and sit down with it. You know. Mm. Um, but you know, for other people, like some people, absolutely love Black Hammer. It's probably stuff like some of the the Golden Age kind of feel to it. Um, some you know, sometimes it's the creator, sometimes it's the you know the the writer, the artist, it's the genre sometimes, but sometimes there are just certain things in it that just resonate so much with you, um, that you just like it right off the bat. So like for me, just within a few pages, there were just things about this book that just delighted me, and mm-hmm. like and I mean like liter like caused me delight, and it's. It's not really easy to to be delighted, especially like the older you get, you know. Like everybody should just stop and think about like what's the, when's the last time something happened, or you read something, you saw something, you watched something, somebody told you a joke, you saw a meme, mm-hmm. and you just felt delighted by it. Mm-hmm. Like it just caused you to feel an elation 
that was beyond what it merited. You know, it's, it's not super often that that happens. You know, I mean, you'll be like scrolling through Twitter or something and you'll see somebody post a meme on there and like it'll just crack your ass up. And like, you know, it's not exa- it's not the funniest damn thing in the world. Like if you go show it to somebody else, not everybody's going to crack up like you are right now. Mm-hmm. But it just it delights you that way because of something about it, you know. Mm-hmm. So for me, that that's kind of how I feel about Ether. I, it only took a few pages of reading it and just the book delighted me. And it wasn't about the story that was going on. Um, it wasn't necessarily about the characters. It wasn't a way, but it wasn't because the characters had been built up, and so I felt like this deeper emotional attachment to them. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, it was just how everything was presented. It was the the way the characters were and the way they presented stuff. And one thing that so often happens uh, in any story is if you start off with these characters that are like that, that you just, like, you're, you are you find them so compelling right off the bat, usually what happens is as time goes on, they're less compelling because they have to get more grounded in the real story and less in, uh, in those kind of more unsubstantial things that were delighting you about them, you know? Mm-hmm. And... That doesn't really happen in this book. What is the freaking protagonist's name? I need to know his name. Oh, God. Uh, Diaz is his last name. What the hell was his first name? All right, you need to find his name while I'm talking because I'm terrible at remembering names. Sure. Jay claims it's because I read stuff too quickly, but I just claim it's because I'm always terrible at remembering names, and he's lucky is I it, know his name. Is it Boone? Um, Boone Diaz? Yeah, there you go, Boone. Yeah. Um. So as it goes on, like, he doesn't change. Like, he's still just, you know, every time stuff gets ridiculous, science will explain it. There is an explanation for everything. It doesn't matter what's going on. He's as ridiculous as that the bird's owner is. Mm -hmm. You know, like, that doesn't change. But as the story goes on and you see that, you know, these aspects of these characters that make them, you know, funny or charming or interesting don't change, um... Other stuff is changing because you're seeing more of the bigger picture. And whereas, like, with the owner of the bird, it's it's funny that he doesn't realize that his bird makes people feel, like, horribly, hopefully, despairingly sick. Mm-hmm. He just is so delighted when his bird is happy. Um, well, you see that, uh, that Boone's willingness to turn a blind eye to to what is really in front of him because there has to be a scientific truth to everything mm-hmm. starts to get a lot more sad by the end of the of these five issues yes and Which... i think that the, the overall story of this book has the potential to be really deep i mean it's, it's going to depend on where it continues to go from here but uh you know, like, it, it made me think of how Jeff Lemire approaches stories a lot of times, where it looks like one thing, and then by the time you get to the end, it's really deep, and yep. it's really sad, and it doesn't necessarily give you any good resolution. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering where this is going to go. Some things that, I, well, you know what, I'm not going to get into speculation until we get to the end of this, but I have some speculation of things that could happen as the story goes on. Okay. So do you want to go through, like, a, a more literal story breakdown? Um, I don't really care how we do it. Well, you you wanted a synopsis. Did I synopsisize enough? We, we got to get 
I don't think we've been specific at all. No, we haven't. And I mean, I think we can recap this book pretty quickly. So, um, we meet Boone Diaz, who apparently is a scientist researching this magical place called Ether. And while he goes on his trip, he gets sidelined from his research by the mayor of the city uh, because the Blaze has been killed. And the Blaze is like the, the sworn protector of the ether. Uh, she keeps any invaders from our reality from entering into their reality. And somehow she's been killed, and it's Boone's job, along with the, the giant ape. What's his name? Um, along with the giant ape to uh, figure out who killed the blaze and uh, put a stop to it. So ultimately, it's kind of a detective story, but with a lot of magic. And yes, as you said, a lot of sadness, because it does get pretty sad once we start <coughs> learning who Boone Diaz is. The ape's name is Glum. Glum, there you go. So there's another aspect about the book that's just great, is even the names, like... An ape named Glum. That's like, you know, those are the kind of, of like creature names of characters and in, in stories that you would get in. But you know, like I was saying, things aimed at, at kids. Like it makes me think of like what a creature in He Man would be named or something like that. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. you take any of those kind of fantasy stories for kids, and and you have like kind of those kind of names. Whereas if you take something that's super complex and aimed for you know more for adults like Lord of the Rings and all that like yeah nobody in Lord of the Rings is named Glum like they have crazy ass names with you know way too many letters and pronunciations and yeah, shit, so. yeah 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 um yeah so you know this this story on the surface is uh, a lot of things you know it's a fantasy story in a way it's a crime noir story in a way um it's kind of a cartoony lighter story in a way um and then as it goes on, it gets uh, it gets a lot heavier. Well, it um, depends, and that, that's one thing that I really like about the art. Um, so I, while we were talking, I looked up the artist a little bit, and uh, apparently he's he's a painter. That's that's his day job. And this this book is not painted though. Uh, this book to me looks like it's all digital art, um, which which is probably why he can do the the. The pencils and the colors and the letters, because um, he's just all on the page at one time. Uh, but what I really like about the art is there's a clear delineation of where you are based on the atmosphere presented to you by the art. So when Boone is in the ether, everything is like bright neon colors and pastels, and all the creatures are like super like weird looking and have cool character designs and then when he jumps back to earth everything's gloomy and dark and everyone's fat and ugly um and even even boone himself like when he's in the ether he looks i don't know 10 15 years younger at least than uh than in the real world or in our Mm. world i guess you could say and on top of that, when you go to the scenes that are uh, that are flashbacks on the history, not only do you have it more in that uh, you know in, in the tone of the real world, but then it's also even uh, muddied up a little bit, sort of. Yep. 
So I mean, it's you're you're very clear, and uh, typically in those parts, there's a little less little less words guiding you along, a little more just kind of seeing what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's definitely where, as you go further and further into that, you get more backstory, and that's where the story gets sad, uh, much much more sad than uh, it appears on the surface. I have um, a, I have a question about the narration. Mm-hmm. So the book is being narrated by Boone. Um, in some parts, I think that's more obvious than others. But who is he talking to? Because at, at, at first, like the first couple of issues, it seems like he's just kind of guiding you along the story, right? Whenever there's narration. But I can't remember if it's like issue four or five, um, after he meets somebody from his past. There's like a clear thing where like he's speaking directly to a person in the narration. Um, it's not like to the reader. It's It feels like it's to somebody that he knows and cares about. So the, the person he meets from his past is his wife. Correct. Um, he also is a government agent. Yes. Um, that, it, you know, so he's, he's researching the ether for the government. Um, so... You got some different layers to stuff with, with those aspects of it. We discover that his wife accidentally discovered the ether. The wife's grandmother was, I'm pretty sure, was the blaze yep. at some point. Yep. So how is she? Like, she's tied with the ether more than just, like, she stumbled into it. Like, she seems like she actually is, like, a you know... From the ether to some extent, possibly. Mm-hmm. I mean, if her grandmother is the Blaze, maybe that Blaze decided to retire, and uh, and came into the real world and had a life. So, I mean, there, it opens up so many possibilities. What's going to happen with that as it progresses? Are we going to find out more about who this lady is, and is she going to have a bigger role going into it? Like, are we going to end up getting more embedded into the ether? Is this story going to turn more fantasy as we? can't deny what's really happening anymore mm-hmm. um also boone boone's clearly addicted he is uh abandoning his family he had a wife and two daughters every time he goes into the ether he loses much more time than he spends there so he spends a little bit of time there but a lot of time passes on earth so he's throwing away his life with his family because he's addicted to science he's addicted to discovery mm-hmm. and he keeps on rationalizing it and saying no it's okay this is what we need we can't fear it you know this we you know if we embrace it then then we don't fear it you know we have to understand it to not fear it so what is he fearing you know um so i mean he's clearly addicted he's clearly choosing his addiction over his family um so I mean I I have several different things that could happen as this story goes along that would be like equally make sense to me as far as like how they're going to progress this story. Mm-hmm. Um, it wouldn't surprise me at all to discover that the ether is completely not real and that Boone lost his family. And, like, this is his, like, delusion trying to explain what's going on or something to that effect. So it's funny that you say that 
because before we learn about his past, I had this like weird feeling that Boone was based on like Don Quixote. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you've read Don Quixote, but I, I don't know, like especially when he's like uh, when he goes into Fairyland with Glum. It just it that's that's exactly how it felt. Like he he's going off to to fight windmills and that he thinks are giants. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it, I don't know. At the same time, like I can't tell if he is crazy or not. Because yeah, I, that... I, I think I think Kent shows him both ways. You know what I'm saying? Like at the end of the first issue, for example, he looks like he might just be crazy. Because he comes back from the ether and he looks like a homeless man, and he's like getting food out of the trash and going to eat it under a bridge. You know what I'm saying? Like he seems like a crazy, paranoid homeless man. Yeah, and he always has an explanation for everything too. Which you know, when you're crazy, you always have an explanation for everything. You mm-hmm. know, when you have an addiction, you always have an explanation for why this is like this and that is like that. You know, well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just I I need this to be like this for this reason, and um, so I, I that that's been one thing I've kind of felt the whole time is that like this really feels like the ether is all a a figment of his imagination, or it's all a creation to rationalize and explain what has happened. I think that the bigger picture of what has happened is the the piece that. Um, it could go a lot of different ways. I mean, it could just be that he he got addicted to this thing and, and destroyed his his family because of it. Um, you know, it, like actually going into the ether. So he's creating all these stories from his time going in there to explain like why it was worth doing that when he's come back and his family's all dead and gone now. Um, which is not in this point in the story, but I sure, mean, right. once they once we have a full unveiling, like a lot of what we're seeing could be uh, fictitious as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it it could be that it just it could be so many different things. But I really feel like uh, when we get to the end of the story, that we're gonna have, um, you know, an overwhelming loss, and and you know it's gonna be one of those stories where we look back and just it's going to be either be like this is so sad that this happened to him and this like this has all just been his like story to try to overcome a tragedy or it's going to be a cautionary tale of like this is what happens when you don't have your priorities straight yes yeah I could see that but you know like the fact that his wife jumped into the ether when she was a kid um, and I like how that whole thing tied into the main story, right? Because the guy that tortured her there ends up being the the big bad in the quote unquote main story, right? In in the mm-hmm. detective story. Um, and but ultimately, like that's that's really secondary because it is about exploring like his relationship to different parts of his life. Um, and I see what you're saying about the loss, but like his wife's not dead, right? Because she helps him fight the golem that he's chasing Like well, when, he, it, when, when he goes back to his house. Like, he's chasing that golem that he so, thinks is the murderer. 
First of all, his wife is massively older than he is. He's thrown away his life with her. I don't know if they're actually still married. Uh, Well, there's a reason that she's older. And the reason is he's always in the ether. Yeah, exactly. He's thrown away his life with her going into the ether. So she's continued living for years without him. And like when he goes back there to find whatever the hell he needed to find for a certain part of the story, uh, he said like he, he... he presented it as he stores his stuff there. Mm-hmm. Like, he didn't present it as, like, this was his home with his family that he's too ashamed to go back to. Mm-hmm. It was he stores his stuff there, but he doesn't really go back there. You know, so, I mean, even the way he presents it is avoiding the, re- you know, like, the truth of the situation. He's presenting facts because that's what he works in is facts, but he's avoiding the real truths of the situation. He had two daughters that if he's thrown away years of their lives, like, that's that's a massive thing, you know? So, I mean, he's abandoned his family for the ether. Which I like so, that I like that one page, by the way, when he he and his wife start talking, and you have, I think it's like three panels in the flashback. And in the first one, they're both very young in the house, and uh, it's all like sepia tone. Mm-hmm. And it's just him and her, and he's in his, his outfit that he uses to go to the ether. She's kind of arguing with him. And then you go to the next panel, it's the same thing. She's a little bit older, and you see, like, the two little kids kind of opening the door in the background. And then the third one, they're a little bit older, and the girls are, you know, like, twice their height. Um, and then you get back to the present, where it's just them two, and she's really old. Um, mm-hmm. And the kids aren't there. So I don't know if the kids, if something happens to the kids, or if they've just grown and, and left the house. I really like that one page, though. Yeah, no, that's a great one. I think that's really the page that unveils all the heartbreak of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, so now, I mean, at that point, the question is, and we haven't had this stuff unveiled to us yet. Um, so is everything that we're being presented as current day fact in the real world, is it is it real? Well, I think obviously uh, not. So when, when he goes to Fairyland, um, he's telling Glum the story about, uh, I can't remember, like he, he gave the name of the story, like, whatever it was and glum's like oh that was you he's like yeah that was me like some adventure he had in fairyland and then when he actually gets to the the fairy the leader of the fairies and starts telling the fairy the story the fairy kind of agrees because of course she's being um the 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 murderous golem is like in the room so she's trying to be like hey we like help me out you know like this thing is here and he's like, oh, I'm sorry, like, that I did this and, like, that this happened. And it totally contradicts what seemingly is the story in, like, the history books. You know what I'm saying? Because mm-hmm. none of the fairies want him there. Like, as, he, as he's walking through fairyland, they all give him, like, the eye rolls and disgusted looks. Um, and then you learn that he blew up, like, some kind of reactor or something while he was there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think just based on that alone, you can't really rely on what he says is true. Exactly. But he's not far off on, on other things. I mean, like, he, he guessed who was behind the uh, the whole plot pretty quickly. Like, I think in the first issue, he already knew who it was. It was just a matter of gathering all the evidence, right? Yeah, but, you know, I mean, that's... The, the the best fabrications are always based on a thread of reality, whatever it is, whether you're a liar, whether you're crazy. Um, I mean, even 
you know, you look at uh, stuff in the political world today and the way that, you know, different people are bashed for things. You could take anything and, and slant it because you could take a, a, a thread of truth and then you just add all the nastiness that certain people want to hear to it and they get right behind it because with that thread of truth they feel like they have the power for it all mm-hmm. um, you know so he has a thread of truth to what he's saying you know he everything he, you know he trucks in facts so like he says these facts that are true and you know the story that he tells could be technically true but then you see these other aspects just like with the bird that's singing mm-hmm. you know that that owner is just so happy that that bird gets to sing his song because it makes the bird so happy mm-hmm. you know but that bird is is hurting people and the owner doesn't see it because well he's he's his facts are true that it makes the bird happy to sing and it makes him happy for his bird to be happy mm-hmm. that's his truth and he's not seeing the rest of it and it's the same thing with with boone he has a truth to stuff and he's not seeing the rest of it yep so what do you think about the way that you need to enter the ether? There and yeah, there's got to be more that that ties into other stuff being being willing to die. And the way it's presented in a couple of times. So when when his his wife as a girl goes into the ether, she's falling and she assumes she's going to die and just kind of says Okay, if I you know if I'm gonna die, I'm gonna die. You know, I mean, she just she accepts it as an inevitability, so that's her accepting being willing to die, and so she she passes into the ether. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the first time we see him go into the ether, he basically hangs himself into the ether. Correct. And then later on, we see that in earlier trials going into the ether, that he has to um, swallow cyanide as he's doing it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, basically, we see him going to the ether committing suicide. He's killing himself. Mm-hmm. Um, man, there's... But I think it, there, goes, it, goes, no beyond that. it goes beyond that, though, right? Because it's not the fact that you're killing yourself in order to enter the ether. The thing is that you have to accept the fact that you're going to die before you can enter the ether. Mm-hmm. Right. But so the so thing is, it's a step above. You can that. accept the fact you're going to die without doing something to kill yourself. He does things to kill himself, taking cyanide. No, no, that, that, that's the you, thing, though. You have to, you have to kill yourself, or uh, do something to kill yourself. You see why? what I'm saying? Because he does not because, say that. That is not what he says. He says you have to accept. You have to be willing to die. He doesn't say you have to kill yourself. You can be willing to die without that action. When his wife as a girl fell in, she didn't pull out a gun and shoot herself in the head while she's fallen. You're right. You know, she didn't slit her throat. She just accepted it. I'm falling. I accept it. You know, I'm going to die. Yes, but it's like it's like at, at a, a, a some kind of point. Like there's a brink, right, between between life and death. And so you have you have to I I think, and I could be wrong. But it seems to me like you actually have to come to the point of death, okay? Because even even if he were to bite on the cyanide pill or, like, he made the rope too short, right? 
and he actually kills himself before he enters the pool to the ether. Because um, if you notice, like, as he hits the water, whatever method of death that he has chosen kind of disappears, and his body just continues. So, for example, the one where he tries to hang himself and jumps off the building, as he enters the water, the rope unties from his neck, and he keeps falling down, and then mm-hmm. resurfaces in the ether. So, so you see what I'm saying? Like, you, you have to get to that point. But that that's where with the story, do you think that this is this is a fantasy story telling us magic is happening? Or do you think that this is uh, the twisted interpretation of somebody that isn't accepting reality? I mean, that's kind of a loaded question because really it's more on the reader's psychology to interpret than anything else. It's it's going to be more on what happens as the story goes on. Wait, where is the story going to go? What's going to happen? And I just I see that there's elements in the story that lead me to believe that we're going to get to the end of the story and we're going to find out that the ether is not real and that he is psychotic. Well, and I think ultima- happened, ultimately and that's he... the best answer, right? Because if, if Matt Kent doesn't believe in magic, then... Yeah, he, 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 this he... is him telling a story about magic that when you get down to it is not a story about magic. Correct. Well, and it isn't. Because I think the really strong points of the story are not at all you know, tied to the magic aspects. Yeah, so I, I just that that's what my two cents on it is. Like, it could go different ways. It could go that they they go into the ether and they battle this evil douchebag with his magical bullets and copper golems, um, and that they save the ether and protect it, and then they go back to their lives. Um, or it could be that the ether is all a fabrication. So everything else that we're hearing is a mask for what the real story is. Mm-hmm. So if you, if that's a possibility and if, if you think that that is where, you know, is what's going to be the truth of the story, then you have to look at the elements that you're seeing to see, you know, what clues are we getting to where this actually is going? And I mean, we just talked to, about Matt Kent. Well, we know about Matt Kent. He likes writing spy stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. So if, if you think, you know, you're trying to uh, dissect this like a detective, you know. You're trying to think like a spy and, you know, d- decipher these clues and stuff. Um, he's repeatedly committing suicide uh, or attempting suicide. Um, he's abandoned his family for an addiction. Uh, like, th- those are two things that I see as being truths in this. Like, right off the bat, when he hung himself to, to pass into the ether, like right away in the story as early as that was i said there's more to that than just you have to accept death to pass into the ether mm-hmm. like I, I don't buy that that's the reason they're going about it that way because if, if that's all it is there's other other ways to go about it that don't make you witness somebody attempting suicide mm-hmm. so like i look at that as a big clue to, the, to there's more than meets the eye to that and this ain't the fucking Transformers, so it's going to be some serious <laughs> shit. Yep, I agree. This is why we need Volume 2. We do. I I mean, I, I don't even know. Like, I don't know. If, I know sometimes Matt Kent will, like, be very clear and transparent that this is the overall plan for this. I don't know if this is uh, Volume 1 and Volume 2, and that's that's uh, the story of Ether. if it goes on beyond that. Um, I 
doubt it was planned as an ongoing. I mean, even, I mean, my management ran a long time and it wasn't planned as an ongoing. It was planned for as long as it was. And he had to, uh, he had to show them that he could sell enough to, to make it be able to go on that long. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's a little um, different too, because that's, that's all him. Like he has complete control over that. Um, I don't know like what the exact deal is with this book. Yeah, I don't know either. So I, I think it would be very interesting if we could get him to come and chat with us about this. Um, yeah, I, I like I said when I first read this, it took me very little to just really. I, I was just sold on it. I said I'm I'm gonna love this within a few pages, and it was because of those um, those surface elements that just draw you in. Um, and then once I got deeper into it, I see the deep elements that I usually look for in uh, in a story. Mm. And, I mean, we still have to see. Like, it still has to flesh out one way or another. If this fleshes out as just being a, a fun fantasy story, it'll still be good. Um, but, uh, you know, I may get to the end of it and be like, oh, that was a good read. And, you know, it was good. And it was nice. Mm-hmm. But I think that this has the potential to be a lot more substantial um, than, you know, just being a good story. Agreed. Let's wrap this one up. Yeah, so, uh, you Patreons have been listening to this way before everybody else. You gotta go and brag to everybody about how <laughs> great this podcast episode was and how, how wonderful it is. Um, in reality, these kind of things are gonna be more, uh, more doable because of the patreon and and getting patrons that want to uh show us a little love for us having been doing what we've been doing for over two years now yep over two years is that yep. right yep sure is damn getting close to three years even mm-hmm. um yeah you know with, with a little help from uh from all of you guys we can get a lot more expansive and things that we can do because we'll we'll have uh i mean ultimately being able to show my wife and get a few bucks for doing this gives me a lot more leeway to have the time <laughs> to do it as well. So, um, yeah, so, I mean, th- this is something that we plan on continuing doing. Uh, patrons will get first, uh, you know, first listen by a long shot for these special episodes. Mm-hmm. And we're going to be able to use these to dive deeper into things uh, that, you know, as we've said the Valiant Central podcast is a podcast for Valiant fans, not just a podcast that reviews Valiant books. Uh, but, you know, we want to be able to dive more into Valiant, other works by Valiant creators, like Matt Kent's Ether. Possibly right. other things that we just think will appeal to Valiant fans, because we're Valiant fans and they appeal to us. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes we'll have podcasts that are just uh, the nonsense we want to share with everybody. That's all the time. Uh, if you want to pick up Ether, it's available everywhere. Uh, came out August 1st, so this is like super fresh. Like, uh, came out a month ago. There will be a link in the show notes if you want to purchase it. It's, uh, Ether Volume 1, Death of the Last Golden Blaze is the subtitle. And, uh, again, it's Matt Kent and David Rubin. And by the way, apparently David Rubin did a two-part book. There's two trades called The Hero. Volume one, volume two, and it's uh, a retelling of the trials of Hercules. Hmm. And I'm uh, I'm very interested, so I might pick that up. 
it's always fun unraveling the threads of stuff. You know, you you check this thing out because you know this guy, but then you don't know the other creator, and then you check out something else because of that creator, and you end up. You know, sometimes you end up you start with somebody that you think is your favorite, and you end up with a new favorite mm-hmm. um, because of it. You know. Yep. It's uh. Yeah, this, I, I definitely, it, it's funny when I picked up, because today I actually bought the trade of it. Um, as I had said earlier, Sparky sent me the floppies, and I read them, but I got them in a box to go on to uh, to, to our our friend Kathan, because mm-hmm. um, I want to share the love that I get from others, but I, I loved this, and I wanted to have it to keep and read again, so I went out and picked up the trade today, um, and... One of rare times I paid full price for a book because I didn't want to wait for it. I could have ordered it and saved some money. Um, they didn't have it at Bull Moose yet because Bull Moose gets their books through, like you know, through the way people get books, not sure. through Diamond. So sure. there's that delay. Yep. Um, so no discount for me. I paid full price for this because I loved it that much. And I mean, I still have the floppies sitting in my office. I could have read them again that way, but I wanted it. Mm-hmm. And it's it's rare that I want a book that bad that I'm willing to pay full price and not be patient. Um, but when I was purchasing it, the the girl that rang me up uh, at Newbury Comics, um, she said, I, I've been I've been looking at that. I've been wanting to get it. And I said, yeah, I strongly suggest I, I told her within a few pages I was sold, mm-hmm. co- completely sold on it. Um, and then I mentioned how, uh, you know, I, I'm a, I like Matt Kent, so I got it because of Matt Kent. But the art in it, even though at first it may not have drawn me in on its own, you know, it's one of those things where you check something out because of another creator, and then the, the part that they don't do that somebody else does, you just fall in love with it because when you see how it fit, the pieces fit together, it's just so great. Mm-hmm. So check out Ether. Check us out on uh, the Valiant Central podcast. You can tweet us at Valiant underscore Central. I am at Who's Paul. He is at Geekvine. It's his birthday today. Not Woo! by the time you hear this, but right now it is. <laughs> uh, so happy birthday, Martin. Way to live another year. Uh, You can go visit the Patreon at patreon.com. Slash Valiant Central Podcast. Yeah, slash Valiant Central Podcast. I completely forgot how the internet worked for a second there. Good job, Paul. Yeah, so check that out. Um, I know right now we have two levels on there. One gets you a thank you. The other one gets you uh, the early access to all the goodies. That's Uh, right. Yeah, I mean, we're going to be doing more stuff in the future, too. So give us feedback. Let us know, you know, what you like, what you don't like, what you might like to see. Um, and, you know, we may have contests in the future for patrons. Uh, we can do, you know, more special episodes. Uh, you know, we can do episodes based on suggestions from people. Um, so a lot of fun stuff that we can do, but we definitely need uh, you guys to be a part of it to do it. So hit us up and... Uh, until next time, which will actually be in a few minutes when we record the second one of these. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, we need to sign off for this show. I don't know. Just go by Ether. Don't mess. Don't be like Jay. Don't be like Jay and be like, I, I got it. I'll read it when I get to it. No, just go read that damn book. Damn you, Jay. Are you done rambling yet? Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs>